Hi there. Welcome to Vertical Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Taylor. Today I'm in Fort William. It's an absolutely gorgeous uh, spring day. The, the sky is all blue. There's still snow up on the Ben. Not too much of it, though. And uh, I've made my way over here from Inverness to speak to Helen Renard. Helen is uh, a very, I would like to say, well-known winter climber, but it's only really her name that most people know, and usually in uh, in connection to a hard first ascent or a hard repeat. Helen, thank you for uh, thank you for having me over. No, thank you for interviewing me. Thank you. Ah, no problem. Um, so you let's talk a little bit about your season so far, Scottish winter climbing. So it's the 2018-2019 season. Uh, you've you did along with I think it was Dave Almond the. No, it was with Andy Nisbet and Steve Perry, the first grade eight on, was it Lurchers? Yeah, on Lurchers Crag. So, um, so Steve had tried that last last winter, um, and he had broken his ankle. I think the previous summer, so and his ankle still wasn't quite right. Uh, so it was a combination of that, and then the the. Two people that he was climbing with that day wouldn't lead anything. Um, it was kind of a bizarre story. But sorry, I might go off a tangent. No, go for it. So, um, so the the story was that he'd gone with these two people he'd not climbed with before, and when, when they got to the bottom of the route, they said that they were on the Scottish curling team and they'd got a competition coming up, and the coach would kill them if they got injured, so he'd have to lead everything. That is a bizarre story. <laughs> you're, you're right, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so he ended up leading everything, which I think he wasn't sort of expecting, and his ankle wasn't great. Uh, and then the second and third pitch, so it turns out the second pitch is the crooks, but the third is still hard. Um, he tried to do that all as one pitch and got kind of halfway up that and just got pumped, and he ended up dropping an axe, and it went down the back of a big flake, and he couldn't retrieve it, so... So, yeah, so he, he didn't get up at that time and it was a big thing for him to go back and do it. And he was conscious that... How many attempts was that then? So he just had the one attempt on it. Just the one attempt. Uh, but he was conscious that, well, Murdo Jameson in particular, who Steve was good friends with, knew of it and said, you know, Murdo's much better than me and he could just go and do that easily, whereas for me it's a big thing that I want to do it. Yeah. So, and, and he told me not to go tell him... Dave McLeod or Ian Swall or anyone because they'd just go and sort of walk up it. What so style it was, of a route is it? Um, the first pitch is turfy and then the second and third pitch it's sort of steep uh, snowed up rock basically. Um, so the, the crooks on the second pitch was a very steep, sort of maybe slightly overhanging wall with cracks. And then, yeah, and then the <coughs> top of the, th- sorry, the bottom of the third pitch was kind of big flake it, it was kind of steep steep and yeah sort of steep rocky and when was that kind of december january time um it was it was end of sort of end of january it was when it was that big was it super blood wolf moon that massive moon oh yeah because that's where so the name shapeshifter so the the theme was dogs because it's lurchers crag and then a shapeshifter apparently is like a another name for a werewolf or can be a sort of werewolf. Um, so that was why, because that big moon was up as well. Um, so that was oh, that was like twentieth or so of January. Um, and Andy almost didn't come out that day because he had been he'd been quite 
ill with some kind of virus, I think, and a flu. Um, and because I, I spoke to Andy the night before, and he wasn't that that keen to come out. And then, as a result of speaking to him, I sort of wasn't that keen because I'd just done three days in a row. So, and then Steve, who was just always really enthusiastic, so he sort of basically got both of us motivated, and um, we both went out. But I think Andy kind of didn't really feel well all day. Um, I noticed he was he was coughing quite a lot on on the belays, um, and he kept saying he was going to turn back and go back to the car, uh, and Steve kept him going. Uh, I yeah, I mean, I, I think it's good that he did the route as to whether it was the best thing that he had gone out when he felt like that. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, that I mean, that was the last time I saw them before they um, died on Ben Hope. So, well, I definitely want to talk a little bit about that later on. Yeah. I, I picked up in your emails that that's something you definitely yeah. want to talk oh. about. Um, so you how how far back do you know Andy and Steve? So Andy, well, I've known I've known of him for twenty years, and then I've known him personally for ten years. So since two thousand and nine, and I gone back to university. I was doing social work postgrad, and I messaged him through UKC to just say I'd be free through the week if he wanted to do winter any winter climbs. Um, so yeah, I've known him for ten years. Steve for about four four years, I think, um, and that was through Andy. So. Yeah, and then, I mean, since they met, I don't know how long they've known each other, maybe five or six years, but they were, they just did so much together. It was kind of the two came together almost. When you look at, when you look at the list of first ascents that the guys did, I mean, searching their names, um, they were just voracious. I mean, it was new route yeah, after new route. Yeah, I mean, like Lurchers and then Ben Hope as well, and it's just, it's basically like the entire crag, which was what Andy used to do, um, and I think would be quite sort of secretive about a certain crag until he'd done everything that he could do and then he would sort of release details you know but until then I mean like for Lurchus they'd sent me topos and information and both of them would say like do not share this with anyone else don't show this to anyone else it was a big thing yeah. that you know you don't let anyone else see this so <laughs> yeah but no, I mean they've done absolutely loads together um I and you had done quite a lot with them as well, both I, individually I done, and... Well, I'd done a lot with Andy over the years. With with Steve, I'd done some rock climbing, but that's actually the only winter climb I did with him. And it's and we kind of realised after that that we were like really similarly matched in sort of ability and fitness and stuff. And we were wanting to go and do... Uh, grey slab on Spoot and Jarag and we were working out and Steve was saying because his ankle was still a bit kind of sore so we were going to break it up and go into Hutchinson Hut and do it like a bit of a trip rather yeah. than in and out in a day. It's a big day that, a big walk in. Yeah because he was saying it would just, I think he'd get in okay, he would have got in okay but coming back out I think it would have been too painful. Um, but I think, yeah I mean I think sort of similar level things that we could have done together and so you were climbing about the same level as these guys you've got similar interests kind of similar similar motivation the day that they were up on ben hope where what were you doing that day um so on the tuesday so it's tuesday 4th of february i'd got out to glencoe with a lad called reese mcallister and we'd done uh was it central buttress 
Um, so the, the weather was forecast to come in about three o'clock and it was going to get really windy and um, it was going to be sort of snowing quite heavily. So we've gone in early and it was to do something that's quite short and, and sort of finish and get back down to the car. So I think we were topping out about three o'clock and the weather like changed really. I mean, it did really change. And I remember the sort of last, the very last bit of the climb, I was kind of having to close my eyes for quite a bit of it. And then it was kind of sleety rain and we, I mean, we got absolutely soaked walking down. So... I think that's uh, that's the weather that they would have been out in or would have been in after they'd fallen, I think. Um, and then on the Wednesday morning, uh, I've got some messages on my phone from Steve's girlfriend, Lorna, who we both knew of each other, but we'd never, we'd never met and we'd never been in touch. So it was like a message request come to oh, my yes. inbox, which I almost ignored. I was like, oh, he's, he's this... Um, and I, I, I read it and it, she, she sent it the night before sort of about half eleven at night saying that they were due to get back at, back, back home at nine o'clock and they weren't home she couldn't get hold of them um, the phones were just going to answer phone uh, she'd contacted the, the hostel in Tung where they were staying they weren't there, the car was still there so I, I phoned her and she was, I was really upset um so, so I, I mean, I found the news out through through her, and at the at the time when I spoke to her in the morning, the, the, they were missing, um, but there was no more news than that. And then the, the police came round to speak to Lorna, so I told her to phone me back after they'd after they'd spoken to her. Um, and then she just sent me a message saying that she said neither of them have made it; it's a recovery. Right. Um, so, and I was, I was, it was, I don't know, like early morning, well, early-ish morning, I was just in my, sitting in my bed, sort of reading the messages from her when I got that, so, um, um, and then all, all of that day, I, because I, I, I suppose I, because I'd found it out through Lorna before I, before it was released, um, I just tried to tell as many people that I knew, sort of climbing friends and mutual yeah. friends, and not not intentionally. I just sort of thought I better tell so and so, and then before I knew it, it was just en- you know endless people to tell, and and it just turned into the entire day of of doing that, um, and and I'd phone everyone, and you know every phone call could maybe take an hour because you know so it was. <laughs> Yeah, the, the day before I knew it sort of turned into that, and it was one of the hardest day. It was a horrible day. Sounds quite emotionally draining. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was. It was. <laughs> uh, Dave McLeod actually called round. He was. I'd, I'd, I'd spoken to him, and he was in town, so he came round to check up on me, um, see if I was okay. And I said, "Well, kind of not okay because it's half six in the evening, and I haven't even got dressed today." <laughs> So not doing brilliantly, um, but yeah, I mean it's it's sort of bits that I know about it that that, that you know that with with Steve was able to phone for the rescue, um, and you know friends have said not to not to keep thinking about that and don't dwell on it. You can't sort of alter what's happened, but I do find that really hard, and I find thinking about Steve in particular very very difficult to 
to sort of think of what that was like. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, I found out the news on the 5th of February and then my winter for me just stopped. I mean, it was partly, I got some problems with my shoulder and stuff as well, but really it was just, I had absolutely no desire to get out again. After that, that just, the, your, your interest in going out that season just evaporated yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, um, and it was... Yeah, I mean, it was to do. I mean, it was to do directly with with Steve and Andy and the fact that they're gone, and then uh, the uh, other. I've had other close friends who died winter climbing, and it's it's sort of quite a lot, really. Um, and what do you what do you, are your thoughts on the way that you're a, you're a social worker by trade? You're used to dealing with people who are dealing with emotions and dealing with that sort of thing, and potentially trauma. What are your thoughts on the way that we as a community, I'm talking about not just uh, winter climbers, but mountaineers, alpinists, climbers in general, deal with the things that can happen as a result of our interests, as a result of our sport? Uh, I mean, I think after Steve and Andy died, I mean, I think Andy in particular, because he was so well known, I think that sort of showed the caring side of the climbing community and you sort of realise how many friends you've got, that there were so many people looking out for each other. So I think there was an awful lot of... Just just, just lots of mutual friends getting in touch with one another. You know, good friends of Andy, who I've maybe not had that much to do with, will get in touch with me and sort of vice versa. So I think that the climbers in general are very supportive of one another and try and help each other. Um... In terms of how you sort of deal with it personally, I think that very much depends on your personality. So I, th- I think with some people, their attitude is just get straight back out there and keep going. And, you know, that's that's their kind of approach. Whereas for me, I, I just categorically didn't want to do that. And uh, I don't know, to me, it almost felt a bit sort of disrespectful. Um that's just sort of my my view. No, that's your um, personal take on it. For my you, personal take on it for yeah. me, I suppose. But, but I mean, that's my. But it felt disrespectful of me to do that. I suppose that you know I'd seen them only two weeks before we'd done that climb together, and then that's happened, and well, I'm just going to carry on. Um. It, yeah, I mean, it just makes for me. It just makes me question the whole thing, really. When when someone that you know dies in in that way. Um, I mean, in terms of dealing with the, the trauma, I mean, it's it's and well, trauma and grief, and it it's just I sort of wouldn't know like the time really how long it takes to deal with that and to process that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a hard thing to answer, and I just think people deal with it with it differently. Um, okay, uh, I understand yeah, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very big question, I must, yeah, uh, must admit. Yeah. So obviously you've, you've stopped winter climbing for the season. It's been a pretty pretty warm season, all truth be told. It's uh, it's not been the best. What what have you been doing? You you said you at the moment you're waiting for an agency job to start. Yeah, so um, so I was working permanently a social worker in Fort William until like a year and a half ago, and then I left to do agency work. Uh, so my plan has basically been to sort of have the winters off and then 
work in sort of spring summer. So agency work gives you that bit more freedom yeah, to, to devote so your time. Though to be honest, now that um, it's got to the time where I sort of need to go back, I really don't want to. And it's just, it's sort of glorious sunny weather, and I'm sort of just wondering how long I can put off going back so I can just keep going out into the hills in the sunshine. Really, um, I do Airbnb as well, so I'm sort of trying to work out if I could just kind of keep kind of can I sort of keep doing that and keep putting it off which I could probably do for a bit. Um, but I'd certainly, I'm certainly going to have to do some work before next winter comes back around, really, I think. But, yeah, so uh, the other thing I've said about the... the as I had, oh, have been having bother with my shoulder, which I sort of ignored through the winter because I just wanted to get out and, and go into climbing, and I thought I can deal with it when the winter finishes because I don't, I don't sort of do so much rock climbing, so I can deal with it then. But I think in the process I've kind of made it, like, Quite, quite a lot worse. I mean, you've been putting a fair amount of strain on it. You've been climbing, I know, uh, sort of grade nine, nine, grade eight, nine stuff. Yeah, so it's doing that, and uh, I mean, I think the thing that's that's probably brought it on in the first place has been dry tooling on Dave McLeod's wall, which I've been doing with uh, weight on, with I mean, up to ten kilograms on. I mean, I've been doing that for a couple of years. Uh, is that something you found that you have to do in order to keep progressing? No, it's just something I sort of decided to do, to be honest, to make it sort of harder for myself so that then it's easier when you're actually on the route. Um, I mean, to be honest, that's that's probably overkill for even doing a grade eight, nine, to be honest. Like, I mean, a couple of winters ago when I was doing it and I was doing a lot and Dave was sort of saying, oh, you should get on stuff like the cathedral, which is, I mean, I, I don't have the nerves to be doing stuff like that but I think physically that was kind of um yeah I, I don't know it's just I kind of get an idea in my head and sort of think right I'm going to do that and as to how scientific it is I'm not really sure but yeah I think I think sort of several years of doing that has sort of caused me bother yeah, that's with a my lot shoulder. of that's a lot of work on the shoulder joints yeah yeah so yeah so I so for this winter I was trying to sort of ignore that because I had set myself a goal which I failed at abysmally, um, and it was that I t- it was forty last August, so I was trying to think of forty something at forty, and I thought of doing forty routes of grade seven or higher. Forty grade seven routes in a season. Yeah, in the season that I was forty, and I picked yeah. grade seven because I can climb, I can lead grade seven, but I don't find it easy. So it would be each route would be challenging but not sort of impossible that's that, I mean that's quite a quite a, a name to have I mean to, yeah. to, for any of you who's unfamiliar with Scottish winter for a weekend for a weekend warrior someone who's only available say Saturday and Sunday to climb to climb maybe 20 routes in a season and that's a route would be considered you know quite a good season by a lot of people some people go out and maybe only climb I, I mean I, I stopped on the, the, the 4th of February that I, I stopped and I hadn't done any more um it wasn't great sort of before Christmas it was a bit slow I mean I'd worked out if I did sort of November through till the end of March for sort of the mixed climbs then that's eight per month so that's two a week um and I was sort of way behind that by Christmas I sort of caught up in I sort of caught up a bit in January given the season that we had and given the kind of way that conditions were, it's not exactly as though it was the easiest. Uh... No, no. And and then there weren't all sevens either. There were sort of, you know, eight and nine with Dave Allen. So, I mean, it was seven above. That was my aim. But, yeah, because I'd sort of got this challenge that I wanted to do, I was ignoring the fact that my shoulder was 
hurting, right. not so much when I was climbing, but when I would get back down and when I go to bed at night, it would tend to hurt so much I couldn't sleep. Um, and I was trying to ignore that, which is, yeah, has not done it much good. On the subject of, uh, of challenges, so it was last winter, February 2018, you did, and it was the first female tranter, winter tranter round. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, so I sort of um, bittersweet that really because I it's like I sh- should feel proud, but I also I think you should feel proud. Well, of that, well, the, the sort of two reasons why I don't. One was that my aim had been to do the the, the Ramsey Winter Ramsey, and I only just got under twenty four hours doing the Tranter. And then the second is that about five days later, Finley Wild went and did it so like just hours and hours faster. Ah, but this is Finley Wild it we're is, talking about. It's just sort of. And the thing is, he hadn't even been thinking about doing it. It's only because I messaged him to say I'd done it. It sort of put the idea in his head and he said, oh, is it good conditions? And then he just had a day off and went and did it. I don't think that's any reason to feel any less any less proud of that as an achievement. But, I mean, this is the guy who I've been told by a fell runner, quite a high standard fell runner who runs with Finlay and trains with him, that Finlay is the best person he has ever seen running on rough ground. And this guy is this guy's done a lot of these big sky yeah. races and things. I mean, obviously, yeah. he holds the Coolin Ridge record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, this yeah. is this if, yeah. as a yardstick. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big yardstick to to hold. I, I know, yourself. I know, but I did it in twenty three, twenty three, twenty nine, and he did. Ah, it. well, that's been then is twenty three thirty. Yeah, it's twenty. It's been rounded. I'll get onto UKC about that. Um, and Finley did it in fourteen something. <laughs> so <laughs> that is blistering. It's just... Uh, um, so do you do quite a lot of hill hill running then? Yeah, I mean, I suppose what I would say about that was that, I mean, the reason... I, I sort of had this idea of trying to do the winter Ramsey. I've not done the summer Ramsey, and I was supporting Alicia Huddleston a few summers ago when Dave and Claire McLeod were filming her, and it was really, really hot. Like, it was like just a horribly hot day. Um even just down at sort of sea level, and I thought, God, it would just be absolutely horrible being up there in this heat. Um, I'd, try, I'd rather do it in winter than do it in this kind of heat, so that sort of put the idea in my head. Um, but then, all of that year, and kind of before doing the tranter, I got a, like, a chronic Achilles tendonitis, so I couldn't really run. So I was out doing hill walking, but as soon as I tried to run, just the action of like pushing... It's a slightly different action, isn't it? Yeah, so it will completely inflame it. Um, so I, I do a lot of hill walking and I run when I can, but for the sort of year or so before the tranter, it was um, really sort of sporadic and sort of fits and starts, and then my Achilles would become really inflamed. So I'd not been running at all for months before I did it, and I had to do it as a walk. I couldn't, like, I just couldn't run because it would hurt too much. So I suppose my sort of excuse of why I was so much slower than Finley is that I had, like I had to walk it because I just I couldn't run. Um, but then I said that to him and he said, "Oh, I walked it all as well." Like, oh God. Some people. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I do a lot of just getting out in the hills. I, I mostly go out by myself. I prefer to do that. Really, do just I mean, I've just finished the Munros last summer. Congratulations! Um, oh, thank you. Thanks. Um, and then I actually started doing the Corbett's now, which I always was found I wasn't going to sort of go down the road of ticking things off a list, but I quite like having 
yeah, because I, I often sort of struggle to think what to do, and then kind of having a book where you can look through it, and it's just got all, um, you know, it's got a list for you, and you can just. It simplifies the decision making process. Yeah, maybe. and then there's all these hills I wouldn't sort of think to do otherwise, and bits, you know, the same with the Munros, all these bits of Scotland that I wouldn't have gone to otherwise. So you you moved up here from Stafford. Yeah, yeah. And when was that you moved up? Uh, so 1998. Um, so I say I was 20. So when I started university, so I'd had like a couple of years, sort of. Which university was that? Uh, university of Aberdeen. So I purposely chose a Scottish university um, so that I could get out into the Scottish hills and I, I wanted to go winter climbing, so that was why I chose Aberdeen. Um, I, I got an offer, I got an unconditional offer at St Andrews, but I went along for the open day and I just thought, I don't know if I'll fit in that well. I'd slept on the beach and then I turned up at the open day, having a definite place. But I turned up like all a bit dishevelled and covered in sand with what well, I would say kind of quite a few posh kids who seemed to I, I just yeah and and some of the parents were kind of I thought were a bit looking down the noses at me a bit I mean I care was I think I know what you're describing dishevelled yeah. looking but at the same time it's like well I have a place and your kids don't yet because they haven't done their A levels yeah so I have a place and you're still looking down your nose at me so I decided not not to go there. Um, and with Aberdeen, I, at the time I couldn't drive, and I sort of looked at public transport, and you could get the so it was a two hundred one bus Aberdeen to Braemar and get out into the hills pretty quickly, like Braemar or get off at Crathy and, and yeah, um, that is handy. Yeah, and then go into Geldershiel Bothy. So yeah, so you could do that at weekends and just do that by yourself or with like a group of people and. Um, I don't. Uh, so I, I went to university university in Edinburgh, okay. and it has a I would say a probably a broadly similar kind of social makeup to probably St Andrews, maybe a bit less so. But uh, one thing I've noticed is kids that come from a quite a, I would say a posh background. You know, they've gone to an expensive public school. They have this wonderful confidence, and it's this unshakable, occasionally unfounded, but totally unshakable, regardless belief in themselves, that often leads them on to do to really give their all in certain things. I mean, I, I see it a lot in, in them as climbers. Yeah. That sort of social class that, you know, some of them some of them will, will do quite well at some things, but often I'm a little bit wary when someone's quite posh when I'm climbing with them because I've seen people who've insisted, oh, I know how to do X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, they're putting their crampons on backwards yeah. or doing... I'm, I just makes me be a little bit more careful. Um, well, I mean, I haven't really climbed with many posh people, so I'm not... Sure about that. You haven't I, missed out on much. Okay, right. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, but I know what you mean about this, sort of this this total confidence in their own ability and their, even if it's completely misplaced. Um, Which, in fairness to them, okay, often often it isn't. Yeah, and I mean it, it is how it is the education they've had and how they've been brought up, so it's not their fault that the. But you know, I just I, you know I went to a local state school in Stafford, and that's you know I've just not sort of growing up around people like that so that, yeah you know i'm not going to particularly get on that well with them yeah i i think that was probably a pretty smart decision uh, i i i know of people who've gone into that sort of environment and ended up quite quite isolated and quite yeah. unhappy thing though if i had gone there because it was geography my first degree and there would have been an overlap while i was there and prince william was there. ah well <laughs> so, things could have gone very could differently have been, could have been many but I'm never sure. mind <laughs> no um I don't yes, think it's, you wouldn't have much time for winter climbing though if you were. No, no, not so. It's miles from London. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and I think as well with St Andrews, I mean the other thing that it, it was a, it's a, that bit more. I mean Aberdeen, Aberdeen stuck out, but you can get to the Southern Cairngorms, okay. Whereas St Andrews is even more stuck out, and I think just getting somewhere on public transport would have been it would be a bit of a nightmare, wouldn't really, it? Yeah. The Cairngorms, yeah. you've you've climbed obviously a lot in the Cairngorms. Yeah. So. Um, so my sort of first winter climbs were on Loch Nagar. Uh, I used to get the bus out and go to go to Geldershiel Bothy, and that was before it was done up. So it must have been pretty cool. It was for freezing because it was an old stable, so it got high ceiling and it was all concrete, and the door didn't fit properly. Have so you been there crashed. recently? I haven't, but I've got I bought the new the Bothy Bible book, and it's saying it's all been refurbished, and they've got a. It's lovely now. It's got a wee stove. It's got nice uh, bunk beds and things. So we, so it was me and then some friends from the Larry Club, which was the Aberdeen Uni Climbing Club. Um, We'd go out on the Friday night and go in there and it'd be really, really uncomfortable and freezing cold. And we'd go and and have sort of epics, getting up grade threes on Loch Nagar, not really knowing what we were doing. and, uh, and then get the bus back on a Sunday night and stop off on Union Street and get a takeaway and, and sort of just do weekends doing that. Um, actually, that was kind of more in my second year. So my first year at uni, I, I joined the Larry Club, um, but I, wasn't, I hadn't really done that much climbing. I'd done a bit of rock climbing, but not that much. Um, some hill walking. And I sort of wasn't that confident to sort of just to kind of go up and ask people you know make make plans and stuff so i'd go on some of the trips but they were to uh like organized trips you know to set places so yeah. you just go wherever and generally that would end up being hill walking you know you go to kintail or like machine um so i ended up just doing loads of stuff by myself in the first year um so i'd go off into gelder and I remember solo in Central Butchers, which is a grade two, which at the time for me was, uh, well, it was it was in horrendous weather as well. It was in like almost sort of gale force winds, just like pretty stupid. But I just well, I've got to go out and do it, and didn't really check the weather forecast. So, um, so this is this is in nineteen ninety eight or just after yeah, that while you were at yeah. university. Did I mean, you did you find that uh, as a woman who was into winter stuff then you were there were very few other women. Because, I mean, at the moment, obviously, you know the demographics. Yeah. um, There weren't that... I mean, in the club, there weren't... Yeah, so there weren't that many. Um, It was probably more girls who were were hill-walking, or it was very much that they were being taken out by the boyfriend who was in the club, I would say. Being taken climbing, yeah. Yeah, so so it was kind of that, really... Um, and 98 was, well, I know it's not before the internet, but it was kind of before... It wasn't as it was widespread. almost before, UK, I don't know, UK Climbing was started around about that time, or a bit later, maybe. Pass, I was eight. Oh, okay. okay. Um, well, I wasn't aware of UK Climbing when I started Winter Climbing in 98, and um, like even like online weather forecast, you would go and... Yeah, like I didn't have a mobile phone, you would go and like phone this number in a call box and you'd get this kind of automated weather forecast read to you that was what it was like um yeah it was yeah no facebook nothing like that simon uh, simon richardson and simon yearsley whom i've interviewed for this uh, project as well they spoke about this as well how the internet has totally changed the game yeah and it seems to generally it's... speaking have been a very 
very helpful thing. It's yeah, I think it's very helpful in terms of deciding where to go because it's just there. You know, you could see daily sort of where people have been, what it looks like. You know, people uploading photos the moment they get back down, or even um, before they get back down. I mean, yeah, on the walk back yeah. down. I've heard of uh, some people who do that. Um, at the same time. I, I sort of almost like pine for the old days where you weren't so aware of what other people are doing because it's this sort of well this fear of missing out and then getting kind of getting so bothered about what other people are doing and it's a strange feeling and I know that other people get it because they talk about this FOMO. It's a definite phenomenon. It's, yeah, and it's and I really dislike it and I sort of annoy myself that I'll sit and look through Facebook and if I've not been out and look at what other people have been doing and sort of do that just before I go to bed and then end up won't sleeping because I've got myself all worked up. Um, so in some ways it was just easier and more simple where all you knew about was what your immediate group of friends had been doing that you didn't really know beyond that. Who, who'd been doing what, you just knew. So me and my, right, my sort of main friends throughout those years, it was Neil Bachelor and Billy and John Stevens, um, and various other folks. You just knew what they'd been doing and that was it, and that was fine. The name uh, the name that's most commonly seen with yours on the uh, Scottish Winter blog is Dave Armand. Yeah. Where does Dave live? Uh, Dave lives in Formby in Liverpool. All right. Um, so... We got to know each other in 2010, I think it was, 10 or 11, when I was doing my social work postgrad. So a mutual friend, Duncan Tunstall, gave me Dave's number because I was going home at Christmas and wondered if there was anyone to get out with in North Wales. So that's how I got his number. And we didn't go out in North Wales, but the first time we met was um, Kangon Car Park and we went and did War and Peace and then Bulgy the second day. And um, oh, it was Dave, and then Dave Gary and Simon Frost, who were also Liverpool, and so the three of them would come up in Simon's, at the time he had a Hummer. <laughs> a Hummer? Yeah. That's an unusual car to have here. So, yeah, he's, um, he's like, oh, he doesn't have it now, but they come up in this Hummer, and they were all... <laughs> I mean, talk about fuel usage, <laughs> my God. Um, and they were all staying in this motel in Affymore. And they were trying to, and I don't know why, because like, if you can afford a Hummer, you're not short of money. But they were all trying to squash into one room, so they were trying to get me to sneak into this room. It was the first time I'd ever met them. And I sort of got caught going into their room, so Dave Almond and I had to go get another room. So it was just like, it was just a bit sort of full on with these three men I'd never met before. And then we went for a curry down on the high street, and the Motel is opposite the roundabout where you go up to um, the ski centre. And we drove from there down to the high street to go for a curry in the Hummer. Drove about 50 metres. like, what? Oh, God. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a Hummer this side of the pond. I think he got rid of it because the, speed, the speed, speedometer on it had gone, so he kept getting speeding fines. And it cost something like £600 in fuel for him to come up each time. Jeez, oh, I'd hate so, to split that bill. Uh, so, yeah, so that was my first time out with Dave Almond. Um, and uh, he's, yeah, he's quite a character, Dave. He's, um, he, I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a good friend of mine. He's a, he's a really good friend. And he, he, um, he, I think some people maybe find he can be 
Um, it's just like he's extremely enthusiastic and, and it's just very sort of um, just like he's on or off kind of um, which yeah yeah can be uh, I need to be careful what I say here <laughs> it's gonna, I'm sure um, you won't mind only, only three people will ever listen to this okay. so you're safe uh, um, I suppose you can be a bit in people's face sometimes, like about sort of what you what have you been doing, what grade was that? Sort of, All right, you know, yeah. You and, Just very um, enthusiastic. Yeah, and I think he's had a few maybe sort of run-ins with with people where they've maybe sort of I mean where he's meant it in a certain way, but they've maybe taken it the wrong the wrong way, um, sort of pretending not to know who they are, but you know knowing fine fine well who they are. Uh, but he. Is, I'd say mentally is sort of the gnarliest person I've ever climbed with. He's unbelievable. He's sort of got this saying, it's just pass me the rack. It's like if it's getting a bit sort of, you know, it's getting dark or it's it's hard or oh, I'm not sure. He's just like, pass me the rack. And he's just, like he, he very rarely stops to kind of have second thoughts. He just sort of gets on with it. And in seven or so years of climbing with him, I think he's shouted, watch me maybe two or three times. It's, wow! It's and and so when he when he I mean the first time he did that was on Babes in the Wood on the crooks and the the gully underneath kind of slants up at the same rate as the climb. It's like a diagonal sort of rising. Where is that route? It's in Aladdin's Coolwar. It's it's basically one pitch. It's okay. like and I think it got it's Dave McLeod and Scott Muir did the first ascent and I think they gave it 8-8 eight, eight, but Dave was saying it should be more sort of 9 really and it's more like 9-8 because it's it's kind of like that you could fall, it felt like you could fall off the ground doesn't get any further away the ground away. doesn't get any further away and when you do start going a bit more up then the gear becomes terrible so Dave made the comment that at any point on it, if you fell off, you'd hit the ground, basically. Right. Um, okay. So it was kind of halfway up that that he was shouting, watch me. And and I, I was like, oh, God, if he's shouting that, like, he's never said that before. Um, and he, he, did, he didn't fall off, but I was really bracing myself for him falling off, there, actually. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's just, it's mentally, it's, it's so tough. Um, I mean, there's a story when he did Centurion with... Uh, Tom Tom Livingston and they, they were staying at my house at the time and I was a bit worried where they where they were because it was sort of 10 o'clock and it was really horrible weather and they were back um, and they'd done it and they just ended up finishing in the dark and it was sort of taking some time but they'd finished the grade 8 bit uh, the grade 8 pitches and then it was dark and they put the head torches on uh, so they took the helmets off put the head torches on and David looked up at the route having not done his chin strap up, so his head touch and his helmet fell off his head. Oh, no. So, um, so Tom was like, we're going to have to have off, and Dave's like, no chance, pass me the rack. So it's just this saying, like, pass me the rack. And just, yeah, and... Uh, just gets he sounds it. like a fun guy to know. It's fun when you're in, in a sort of tight spot and you're, you're sort of losing your nerve. Um, I mean, at the same time, we have got in maybe... Well, there was one particular sort of scrape, I suppose. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't a scrape in that neither of us hurt ourselves, and we didn't have to be rescued. But um, well, it was it was two winters ago, and we were trying the needle. But it was uh, yeah, it was just like it was pretty horrible conditions. It was really it was it was covered in 
really wet heavy snow and there was wet snow coming down all day so we were getting really we were getting soaked like all your gloves were getting soaked i think i got four or five pairs of gloves so all your gloves are getting soaked um it made it just quite a slow progress because everything was like all the all the slabs all the features were just covered under you know this sort of thick layer of snow that you were brushing off so it just it just slowed things down and the route finding was harder and, and we ended up going wrong and we ended up getting onto the steeple and uh and yeah and it was just taking forever and it was dark and we've got like a picture of the steeple to go um but we were absolutely soaked through and the wind had picked up and um I remember us just being on this belay, just just shivering uncontrollably, and we were in everything, in, both in be, you know, in our belay jackets. It got to the point we were climbing in the belay jackets, like like we soaked through. Did you get up it? No. So I mean, also by then, because I, I sort of have like black and white thinking, and I sort of thought, well, if we do get up it, we haven't actually done either. We've done part of the needle and part of the steeple, so it's just a total mess. So I'd rather not do it at all and do part of one and part of the other. Um, so we decided to to come off but then we got the rope stuck um and i think it got stuck because i mean we pulled and there wasn't a crack or anything i think it was basically the depth of snow and this wet heavy snow and it was oh, right pulling down into the into onto the ledge yeah, into the snow uh so i so dave dave went back up that again they sort of handy for that kind of stuff um but it just i mean it's just really really time consuming and we ended up being out for kind of all night really in the end it took forever and then it's it was, a fatal um, walk back to the car park as well especially yeah in that and we'd left our so we'd we'd left our bags at the top oh so we'd no. once we left them at the top come down a gully and just climb with a little bag each so the plan was then you finish at the top get your bag and walk off oh what um, a nightmare so then we came down and had to go back up to the, the gully the other thing was and i was really aware of this but by the time it got sort of dark and this isn't really going to plan, I, I was aware that the next day I'd got this really important meeting, um, social work meeting. There was going to be sort of area managers there and sort of clinical psychiatrists and all these important people for uh, one of my teenagers I was working with. Um, and I was meant to be sharing a lift with a colleague in the high camp, leaving Fort William at half eight in the morning. <laughs> So I kept thinking, oh, I'm not going to get much sleep tonight. I'm not going to get much sleep at all. Um, I'm going to have to have really quick having a shower. And then it got to the point, I'm not even going to get back to Fort William for half eight. And then it was, I don't know if I'll even be in a position to phone them at half eight. And as it was, we got back to the Kangle car park in time for me to phone them to say, I'm not in Fort William, I'm at the Kangle car park. And I, I briefly thought about saying I was ill. But I thought if I get seen by someone, so I just have to say, I just have to say what had happened. Uh, but the the upside of that was that the, the teenager found it absolutely hilarious. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I had a social worker who had been stuck on the mountain all night. It, yeah, but yeah, I, I got kind of told off for that. Uh, yeah, I was told if you're going to plan, if you're going to plan to have epics, can you please plan to have them when you don't have an important meeting the following day? So. Um, yeah, so I mean that. I mean, I suppose that's the closest I've had to things really going wrong. I mean, that's that's more of a sort of controlled epic. It was I mean, a controlled yeah, epic. It's I mean, an epic, but no one's in any shape. Yeah, we didn't hurt ourselves and we didn't get rescued. We got ourselves out of it. It was just yeah. really unpleasant and. 
could potentially have cost you your job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose also all, all it would have taken is for one of us to have fallen, and then the fact that you're in, you're, you're totally soaked through. You've nothing dry. Um, there isn't that huge a margin. There's no, there was no at margin point, at all. Yeah. So that was the thing. Which Dave had actually thought because the it's like I do try and lead this last pitch of the steeple, and he thought, and if I do come off here, like we're just we're just well, well he would have been anyway. I mean, I could, but yeah. Have you done um, these routes in the summer? I've done the needle in summer, not done the steeple. My yeah, I mean, my route finding ability is not amazing. I would say. Okay. Well, I mean, it also looks I mean, different when it's... In terms of finding snow. finding a route, the last pitch of the steeple is pretty hard to miss. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I love that I you mean, can see it, that big open book corner. Yeah, no, of the, of the needle, sorry. Of, oh, right, I'm talking about steeple. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. Um, I've done the needle in summer, and that's pretty obvious, but, yeah, I, I don't really know how we went wrong I'm not really sure oh, fair enough I'd imagine it's a very different uh, very different beast yeah I mean it was different by the th- it was sort of dusk and it was yeah I, I, I don't know yeah I don't know <laughs> it's such a cool crowd that I really really need it is though that sort of put me off a little bit really fair enough you've got uh, on your on your shelf here I'm noticing you've got quite a few kind of guidebooks to other places so Dolomites have you have you been out there at all I have um, yeah that was a friend from Aberdeen yeah, I mean, I've done bits in the Dolomites in the Alps. Um, went to Yosemite a few years ago. Uh, it's yeah, I mean, it's pretty modest, really. What I've done sort of abroad and uh, like I, my rock climbing isn't that good. Um, it's interesting. You've you've winter climbed to such a high standard. Yeah, obviously you're really motivated for it. The sheer number of routes that you've got done over the years, but your, your motivation for rock climbing isn't twice no, that is. No, no, it's various things. I mean, I mean, I actually worked out that I basically pour on the same things in summer that I do in in winter. So sort of HVSE one. Yeah. So I then climb HVSE ones in winter, which are then sort of like grade eight or whatever. Yeah, but I mean that's. I mean, at the moment, what is it? Twelve is the top of the winter scale right yeah. now. Obviously, it's open ended, but so you're climbing eights and nines, seven, eight, nine, and that's pretty close to the top of the scale. Whereas, I mean, E1, E2, it's a respectable yeah, kind of grade, yeah. but it's... I mean, a more sort of HVS E1, like E1 is if I'm going well. That's um, interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, when, when I took up climbing, it was, I'd read, it was my dad's um, Chris Bonington book, I Chose to Climb, which I, my dad used to do a lot of hill walking, so we'd got various sort of climbing and hill walking books. And I read that, and it was the section in that about winter climbing in Scotland. And when That's about with, Raven's Gully? Yeah, Raven's Gully, Hamish, Hamish McInnes, and it's the bit, it was basically the, the sort of de- description of that, and where Hamish had tried it and got kind of stuck in his shirt sleeves, and and the sort of, you know, out in the dark, and, and I just, it was something about that, just sort of, um, and, and doing it in the Scottish mountains in winter, I just, it was that that appealed, um, and before that, I mean, I'd seen sort of people rock climbing on, on telly, and I guess oh, God, that just looks a bit of a silly thing to do. Like it, it didn't. I, I never saw rock climbing on TV before I took up climbing and thought that's something I want to do. Yeah. Um, whereas reading that about the winter climbing, I did, and it was more to be in in the mountains in winter and, and Scotland in particular because it seems just this so much history and um, and I sort of never really really sort of changed that mindset particularly. Um, I. I, I, 
like naturally I'm really not a very good climber, naturally rock climbing I feel really sort of quite clumsy. Um, I find, I mean a level I'd harder than 5B, 5C I find I find hard um, and then I get and then I get really irritated as well that I like, oh, get, get annoyed that some rubbish but then I think actually just don't really like it that That's much. That's fair enough. Yeah, um, I find I just get, I mean I, you don't know sort of how other people fair but I just feel like my hands are sweaty my feet are moving around in my rock boots you know I can never get the right size it just all feels sweaty and uncomfortable and I don't really like it and I I don't, I don't know I just it's it's cool <laughs> that you've obviously taken to winter and you obviously really enjoy it and, and get a lot from it yeah I do and it's I mean the climbing is part of it but it's the it's just the whole thing so it's having the whole day out I mean the other thing with rock climbing that like if you go cragging I just Oh, I, I don't know, I just, it's like the whole sort of sitting around at the bottom and you, know, you do a route and then you sit and have your lunch and then you do a route and then you sit and have get your flask out and it's like I'd rather not bother, I'd rather just go out in the hills for the day, like like get up in the morning, you go out and you're out all day and you do one big thing, not kind of go somewhere and do lots of little climbs and sit around in between, I just really struggle with that, same as sport climbing, I like cracking and sport climbing, I I keep trying to do them, sort of thinking, well, I, I, sh- like I should do it and I get better and I might like it, and then I just sort of don't really... Like, I've done a few sport climbing trips, like Kalimnos, um, Spain. I mean, I've been to Kalimnos twice, and, oh, God, it's like... Every, you know, everyone raves about Kalimnos, and it's amazing, and you go down and have this holiday, and I go there, and it's like, I sort of, like, I'm just not enjoying it that much. I'd kind of rather just be out hill walking somewhere. Um, Did you, have you managed to have a go at uh, Raven's Gully in Glencoe in winter? I haven't done actually, no. No. I've done Raven's Edge. I've done Raven's Edge, which is next okay. to it. So you've seen um, into it. Yeah, yeah. That's quite cool. Yeah. Um, oh, we did that, that was a few, that was a sort of late season route I'm guessing watch, the gully itself rarely comes in though uh, yeah I know there was folk from like Plaza Brennan Dave Rudkin and I think maybe Tim Neal and people had done it a few years ago um, but yeah so so the summers I tend to I mean I think so the other thing so I mean maybe rock climbing doesn't take as much organisation because it's not you're not sort of pouring over forecasts to the same extent um, but I get to the end of the winter and I think I'm actually f- sort of tired of of making arrangements with people and it's quite nicer than just go out in hills by myself because I don't have to make arrangements with anyone. What about uh, what about alpinism if you like being out all day? Yeah um yeah I, I haven't done I haven't done that much um yeah again I think a bit it's with sort of with partners and it's kind of like I have my people I climb with in the winter and then I mean, I suppose the rock climbing is a bit of the problem, you know, like I climb with Dave McLeod a lot in the winter, but there's no way I'm going to be climbing with him in the summer, and then Dave Alman climbs a bit harder, so part of it is that the people I climb with in the winter are then so much better in the summer. Yeah, that's interesting. So there's then, it's sort of, I almost climb with different people in the summer, really. Um, So there's a bit of that, and it's kind of with the Alps, because I'm, I'm sort of so conscious I've hardly done anything, I almost sort of don't know where to start. It's, it sounds sort of slightly ridiculous, but I just sort of don't know. Yeah, I almost just don't know where. It's a funny start, thought. Really. That, I mean, the standard of mixed climbing, sort of ice climbing things that you do, would put you on some of the hardest routes in the Alps. 
and yet the standard of rock climbing that you that you say you're comfortable with would would put you on kind of moderate to very easy rock routes in the Alps. It's such an interesting, uh, yeah. interesting imbalance that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, every summer I kind of avoid addressing that and just go out hill walking and uh, running and stuff. Um, Hence, I'm guessing the ability to then do you know tranter rounds and big hill walking. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, okay, I wasn't fast doing the tranter, but I got the sort of stamina to do it and. Um, used to going out by myself doing it. Uh, so yeah, so I'm not sure whether I sort of just would continue to keep doing it that way, or whether I right, now I really need to try and sort of do more climbing in the summer and address that a bit. It's so difficult. I mean, obviously every every climbing coach always says address your weaknesses, and none know, of us enjoy doing it. Yeah, and I mean it's also in the winter, like sort of autumn winter comes round, and it's like. You need like, just make the effort to go to the wall and do stuff where you're using your fingers so your finger strength improves a bit because I mean it's also like I'm because I don't do that much rock climbing I don't climb that hard so I have to you know, have particularly strong fingers yeah. and I'm pretty heavy for my height and I think I'm like five foot five and I'm about eleven plus stone so like terrible sort of BMI for a, a rock climber but I'm, I, yeah, I'm fine in the winter because it's kind of bigger muscle groups that you're using and you've got the kind of strong shoulders and back, that's fine because yeah. you're using your axis. But So it's kind of that and it's like I just I feel like I'm a rubbish sort of build for rock climbing. That should um, give hope to anyone that's climbing HVSE1 though and has ambitions <laughs> of doing well in winter though. I mean it's, yeah. it also shows that the things that, yeah. the things that you know, you, you can achieve a high yeah. standard of winter even though you're not crushing Yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, I do do a lot of training for the winter, which I kind of start in August, and I do a lot of tooling down at Dave's. I've got a little board upstairs, and you go on the rowing machine, pull-ups, etc., etc. So um, I don't just go from climbing HVS all winter and then, sorry, all summer, and then, like, I, I do a load of, sort of training in between. Um, but... Yeah, I can never motivate myself to go to the wall over the winter because I sort of think I'd rather either be out winter climbing or be resting before I go out again, not sort of going down to the wall to the roots of the wall. So, so as a result of this, like I never get any better and my fingers never get any stronger. So I'm perpetually in the same predicament. I see. So you're, you're back to work soon in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And then put it, any, any summer plans or any plans um, for uh, next season? I summer I'd like to do I want to try and do the Ramsey round this summer actually and the Bob Graham. Super so I spotted there they've got the map, the Harvey's map of the Yeah, the I've got the Ramsey the and then there. the Bob Graham. So What kind what, of time would you like to get on the Bob Graham, ideally? I I, I don't know. I mean well under twenty four, but I don't know if I'd be going for a that's that would be pretty cool. Time. And I mean with, I think with your shoulder injury at the moment, that'd be a great thing. Yeah, to so for. I think just another a, a I don't have a definite start date for work at the minute, so just try and get out. I'm just going to try and get out in the hills. I'm actually packing my stuff to go up, kind of go down to Glencoe and Glenetheve and do Corbett down there and just have some days out. Um, so I think to do to do those really. Um, I mean, I would like to do some mount, like I do like doing the mountain routes in the summer. Actually, I do. I, I like that because then it's the whole day and you walk in and you do a route and you walk out. It's the whole. Sitting around at the bottom of the crag, I just—I know what you mean. It's a different experience. It's more yeah. commitment, and yeah, I just—well, I just feel like you're having doing. like you're having the whole day out as well, and that's what you're doing. Not that you do a climb and then sit and all right, what should we do now? You what don't do get do? that on a sunny day at Stanage, do you? No, no. 
So it would be good to do some mountain routes, but I need to, to uh, need to. I'm not. T- I hadn't totally been doing what the physio had said, so I need to completely do that now because it's not. Yeah, I keep sort of making my shoulder hurt again. So, um, like, yeah, I did go climbing with Dave when she said not to, and then it made yeah. it hurt again, and she was. Dave, this this winter he did that twenty four eight thing. That was yeah. That was last uh, last March. Was that last March? It was last March. Dave said that. Yeah, it was a year ago. That's so impressive. I know. Um, yeah, and wonder if anyone else could ever do that. To be I mean, honest, I've just spoken to be that about that to those. some of the other guys as well. Yeah, the, 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 I mean, there's various people you could do aspects of it, but to do all of it put together. And the eight, in terms of actually getting it in condition, the eight-eight winter route. Yeah, um, it was Frosty's vigil, wasn't it? Yeah. Did. So actually, before that, I'd had some days out with him. We were we were sort of scouting out potential eights that he could do. So we'd uh, we'd been up to have a look at the secret, but that was all choked with ice because um, he, he wanted something where it was short and sort of quite high up. I mean, and he was thinking with this for the secret that, that potentially. Makes sense. Yeah, and then he could have actually got over the plateau, dropped down. So instead of having to drop down and then go up to the secret, he just stayed and gone to the summit and come down that way. That makes sense, yeah. Um, and then he'd got this plan to do it in one big pitch and not not be like the second up to save time, so they'd just have to... Oh, wow. Yeah, Is this something David had been planning for quite some he time? He had been, yeah. He'd been, I think it had been on his mind for years, actually, and he just That's was never sure when he'd get a chance to do it so we looked at that and then we tried a thing round uh, sort of east flank of Tower Ridge it was a Nick Bullock route ride the wild bullhorn but I don't know so I sort of belayed him on some of the oh, half of the first pitch but not totally sure if he was on the right thing there was sort of some loose blocks and um, yeah, so he sort of decided that probably wasn't going to be a good one. I think that's an eight ten. So right, yeah. So yeah, so he was sort of having to look at different options for things to do. But um, to to pull that off, I mean, it's it's a really impressive athletic feat. Yeah, I mean, all of it put together, and then to do the eight Munros at the end, and also he was. Uh, well, he did it with my friend Kev, and the two of them by the end were they'd, they'd run out of water and were so dehydrated they were just sucking bits of like ice basically so in quite a a sort of bad way i think by the end just uh yeah and it's a good advert for luck harbour as a place for a climber to live though that you can have within a day's striking eight rows an 88 route an e8 an 8a sport route an 8a blade fantastic i know yeah i mean it's the kind of thing that maybe some uh, sort of some sort of international superstar you know well it's someone of that Sort of See, I, I don't think it's had very much coverage internationally. Either. It got yeah. a bit at the time, but then yeah. I, you know, I expected this to be. I mean, and I think it was, at, yeah, it was at Kendall, and it was, it was shown at the Fort William Film Festival. I've not seen the film of it. Yeah, so Kev, Kev filmed it, so he did it. I mean, he, he I mean, it's amazing that he filmed it because he, he basically ran behind Dave all day. That's good he? going. <laughs> yeah, Cam, you know, including the great, the the, the eight Munros. Um, and it was him actually. It was Kev who helped me on my winter tranter, so he met me. In the grey chorus and finished, finished it with me. Even though we got to be up really early the next morning to go with the climbing, um, so Dave and I were actually sent it's about time someone helped helped Kev with something. It's sort of him dedicated guy. Yeah, yeah, and he just yeah just spent all day sort of running around after Dave with the camera. 
Um, so, and you, then, so you're quite good mates with Dave McLeod then? Yeah, 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 good, yeah, good friends with him. I mean, went out with him, I think, about five times this winter, um, get onto his wall. Um, yeah, so I've known him since, well, he says, so I met him, well, I lived in the Peak District briefly, so I finished uni at Aberdeen and then I moved back to parents and then briefly lived in the Peak District. Um, and I met him there, he was friends with two people I was living with, Ben Wilkinson, who used to do a lot of winter climbing, and Matt Spensley. Um, so I just met him there, and then when I moved to Fort William, I, yeah, it was kind of chance of my look, really, but I sent him a message saying I'd met you, uh, like, ten years ago in the Peak District. I've just moved to Fort William, if you want to have a go. Brilliant. Winter climbing. That's really good. So, and, yeah, it was a bit, sort of, chance of my look, and also... Yeah, I, I don't know that Dave is totally aware how falling my rock climbing is. Like, I, don't, I mean, I, I, I don't go rock climbing with him anyway, but it did feel a bit like I climbed at Lake Trias when I'm messaging him to go climbing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and to be honest, after the first time I went out with him, I was it was kind of like, is he ever going to go... Well, nothing went wrong, but it was kind of the test is, will he want to go out with me again? So I was very relieved when he did, because he could have just made excuses yeah. thereafter not to that's cool <laughs> yeah it is and I mean I think the main thing now is just just get on really well with him and um, so you know it, it's it's not it's not an equal partnership at all you know he is you know he's much better than me and and um, you know he's you know the, the sort of eight nines and nine nines that he lead the crooks is and it, I mean he does he's always very polite and sort of offers, you know, would you like to lead it and sort of, generally the assumption is that you're doing it, Dave, um, but he's fine, you know, and he's fine, he's fine either way, and he's, I mean, he's great, but he's not, he doesn't sort of go there assuming that he's, yeah, that's he's nice. leading it, it's, it's, what's I that, will do if you want, but. What's the route you're proudest of doing, or the most pleased to have done, rather? Um, I think, uh, I think, if I'm honest, it's probably doing The Godfather with Dave Almond, which we did, I think that was three winters ago, and I think just, um, uh, just because it's, it's a big route, and, uh... The Godfather, that's on Ben Van. Ben Van, so it's an eight, oh, eight, cool. eight on Ben Van. Um, that's that big, kind of sandstone stepped. Yeah, yeah. I've been up in the quarry where that is, and I couldn't see the line of it, really. It's, well, I mean, the thing, so, where we... Who was it got the first ascent of that? Was it Ez Tresador and people? I don't know if it was Ez, It was Martin Moran. And I forget who he did it with. Um, but he... I read his account of it and it was how... He did his head touch. It was either he hadn't got a head touch or his batteries had run out. He ended up finishing it without without any light and having to use the light from his phone. Oh, I wow. So I, put, I made a point of putting two head touches in both with new batteries in and putting new batteries in my pockets. <laughs> sort of went overboard because I just had this thing, I can't be in that situation. Um, so I think it was kind of like just, yeah, it was a, a big sort of, quite, you know, hard route. And um, I suppose when I started out, I never thought, you know, I'd read about it and sort of never thought I'd do something like that. Uh, the thing when we did it, so uh, it was actually a really nice day that, when we got to the car park, Tim Neal, who both of us know, and Keith Ball were just leaving their car, uh, and they were going for the Godfather as well. 
And rather than sort of race them in, I thought, actually, that could be quite good because we can just let them go like a pitch ahead and follow them all day. And then, yeah, like Tim's a guide, <laughs> they, can, they can clean out, the yeah. And, and, and then, then actually, the they and all of us were doing it a few days after Houston, Northland, and Ben Sylvester had done it, and it had been high pressure. So, Tim and Keith were kind of following their tracks and yeah. then we followed them so so it made it like really quite like stressed not totally stress-free but much more pleasant um and just kind of really sociable you know that they were kind of shouting down to us and we were shouting up to them that's and nice yeah so that was funny actually because we were walking so i think they kind of thought we were racing them so that because their head torches kept looking back i think they kept looking back to check where we were dave had been out the day before so he was quite tired and i kind of gone off ahead uh, and they kept looking back and then they got a bit of surprise when we came in and it was me that was ahead and Dave I think they just presumed that it would have been me that was lagging behind and so they oh right it's you at the front Helen so I gave them sort of a bit of stick for that for assuming it would have been Dave leaving me behind um, but yeah I mean that one I really liked uh, new route uh, I suppose out of new routes we've done I think doing um Beggar's Belief for Simon Yearsley, which we did on the band, that was quite about five or so years ago. Uh, so that was 7-7, seven, seven, and that was yeah, sort of the first seven I led, and I ended up doing it on a new route in the dark. Um, but it was kind of been, That must have been a pretty intense yeah. uh, experience. And it was... Unknown ground. Yeah, unknown ground in, in the, the dark, dark, and it was these sort of turf blobs. But it was kind of like there's no choice, and it was that Simon had kind of hurt his ankle a bit, so he couldn't like. It's so, so it's like you have to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was kind of like you you don't really have a choice here, um, and I, I kind of although when you're in that situation, you may think oh, I don't really like this. It's almost uh, quite liberating to just think well, you don't have a choice; you just have to do it. And then you realise that you can actually get on and do it. Um, what did you say the name of that route was? Uh, Beggar's Belief. Beggar's Belief. Beggar's Belief, how long it took for us to climb it. That was why. Yeah. That brilliant. was why we called it that. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to think. Um, I, I mean, I did a new route with Andy Nisbet. It was, quite, I think it was the second new route I did within the first one. Or was it maybe the third? No, we'd done a thing with his ex-girlfriend Sonia Drummond on the side of Leahach, which was like a grade two. And then I think it was like the weekend after that, and I so I was doing my postgrad in Aberdeen, and I'd gone over to stay with him. Um, and we went and did this new winter route on uh, Craig Do, which um, oh god, uh, was yeah, I mean was really not very well it was memorable kind of for the wrong reasons really um but then the next day we went into ben a and went round to pineapple cliffs which is kind of around the back of the main of the triple buttresses okay uh and did a new seven seven there and just that like because it was all kind of new to me then doing new routes and i just thought that was just amazing the feeling that you got to sort of think that no one else had done it yeah and you get to choose the name and sort of work out the grades what so, did you call it uh, Pina Colada. He wanted to pineapple call it, buttress naturally. Oh, well, God, he wanted to call it something like Helen of Troy, and it's like, hey, you're not calling it that. Uh, so I, yeah, so I came up with a pineapple name. Um, so that uh, I think I mean the the shapeshifter route with 
with Andy and Steve. I think that was, I mean, it was a short route. It was only three pitches and the the second and thirds kind of broke into two short pitches just because Steve had, had not got up yeah. at the time before. Um, so uh, it's only a short route, but it was really, really enjoyable. And I think that Steve in particular was just so happy to have done it. So it's like like that, you know, he was just made up and he was, you know, got this big smile at the top. And yeah. Um, so you know, th- days like that I find are really memorable. Where it's it's just the kind of ex- you know shared experiences and the sort of feelings that you've had. That must be a very a very nice memory to have of those. It is, yeah, um, yeah, it is, and and. Uh, yeah, I mean, Steve was just, I mean, he was absolutely chuffed to have done it and um, finished kind of as it was dusk and then the big moon was out and, and I sort of hung back trying to get a photo of them walking down under the moon. I was, it kept sort of coming out a bit blurred, so I was sort of hanging back to get photos and uh, you could just walk down without your head torch. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's funny because, um, like, a, yeah, there's times where I go into climbing and I do sort of question why I, I do it and um, yeah there's, I mean there's quite a lot of it where it is sort of maybe not that much fun at the time um, and certainly once you get onto doing harder stuff where you'd be laying for a long time you know uh, I mean I know that there's folk who've done longer belays than this I think I'm sure Guy Robertson did like a seven hour seven hours seven hours something that Pete McF- it was he was belaying Pete McPherson on something I think and I don't think they finished it but no wonder he moved to Australia after like a seven hour lead seven hours and I think it was a hanging relay so so the most I've done is four hours um so that I know there's nothing compared to seven but it's still four hours four hours so so stuff like that where you can't freeze it and 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 then I, I mean I do get hot aches really badly and people I, I would kind of say people who don't get them so badly so they say well you need to sort out your gloves or they'll do what such and such a thing differently and it's like well I've got, I bought the gloves that are available and I wear belay mitts and whatever, but the fact is you state have particularly brilliant circulation and I've been still for four hours. Do you find there's a bit of a dearth of good kit available for you as a woman for winter? Um, a few friends of mine yeah. have complained about specifically belay jackets. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I got a belay jacket to review for UKC, which I sort of kept using just because I got given it, but it's sort of not that not kind of that warm really and it was it's it's i don't know can i say names and makes and stuff? yeah yeah that, go for it because we I, don't have any sponsors so you can just lay okay. into anyone you want so i uh, so it's a rab jacket and the, the marketing of it was sort of the go-to scottish winter belay jacket for women for sort of can the you remember the model number or make or something their model name rather no a fo- no photon 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 or photon x or something okay okay I think it could be that, unless that was a fleece. So was it too thin or too... Too too thin, just not... There's no sort of weight to it, and it's marketed as the sort of the go-to... See, I thought the photon, the male one anyway, was also a bit thin. Yeah, there's just no... When you put it on, there's no... You don't feel the kind of weight of it. It's it's just like a sort of fluffy sort of... Um, so, but but then I suppose at the same time with Beeler jackets, like if there's times when you're sharing it, you kind of want one that's going to fit both of you. So yeah, so you then you take that, the one for the biggest person. For the person, so you're generally taking like a men's large, I suppose. Uh, 
I mean, I suppose like like boots and stuff. I've got just big enough feet. I've got size six feet that I can get some of decent boots. But then like my friend Nikki, who's not she's just recently taken up climbing and she wants to get into winter climbing and so she's tiny. She's got size three feet. Oh, that must be really hard so to find. So I don't actually know what she's. I mean, she was talking about having to wear ski boots and. I mean, some of the lightweight yeah. modern ski boots might be okay for that, but yeah. That's that's really yeah. Difficult. I mean, to be honest, even stuff like with your crampons, that you have to shorten them down so much that it you'd have to cut the front bail. You'd have yeah, to cut the, uh, I mean, the bar down rather. Yeah, like even to get to get it down to UK six, that you shorten it so much that it kind of alters the shape of it slightly. Because they're quite asymmetrical, aren't they? For yeah, example, like and then it can ones. end up where your boot isn't doesn't fit the end quite right. So you, yeah, it ends up where sort of bits of kit just maybe don't don't kind of fit quite right. There's definitely work to be done by manufacturers on this. Because it is, yeah. I mean, it is an issue. Of, um, a few of my female friends have mentioned this. That it's, I mean, as well as that, I mean, there may well be, for example, a female version of the boots that I've got. But you'll have to travel to Edinburgh or Glasgow, even yeah. further afield, yeah. to try them on. Yeah, I think we're, I mean, we're pretty lucky generally in the kit that's available to us. But it is, it's maybe not quite there, and maybe that, maybe that puts some women off potentially or makes things a little bit harder for them. Yeah. Um... Like in terms of women being put off, what I have heard, I mean, sort of Dave Oland has said this, I will be down in North Wales rock climbing and, and the sort of women doing really hard stuff and they'll get chatting to them and they, you know, say they, they just don't want to go into climbing because they hate, they hate either the cold or they hate being cold. So yeah, I think... Because women do run a little bit colder than men generally. Yeah, so I think for, for women who do a lot of rock climbing, that can be, it seems like that's maybe one of the things that, puts them off interesting because um, other, other yeah, than yourself yeah. the only other women I'm aware of are climbing at a high standard and mixed mixed ground specifically and ice I guess there's Innes Pappert well, she, she's who's obviously kind of, you know she's a professional she's, she's, yeah she's, she's quite a bit better than me really but not there, really there, there aren't, really there aren't any I mean maybe maybe you can put me right here in, in Scotland yeah, what I mean, else can you think of I mean to be honest like Fiona Murray if she if she wanted to would be I mean she's stronger than me and and all sort of dry tool and stuff that she's done. I think she just doesn't particularly. She's just happy doing stuff where she doesn't get too scared. But I think if if she wanted to, she could do much harder stuff. Um, Rothio, Siemens, Theo, who's now a guide. But so, so she was sort of doing quite a lot of stuff in Scotland a few years ago. But then she's moved to Switzerland, so I don't know kind of what she. Yeah, I don't know. If she sort of comes back too much. Um, Lou Reynolds is really keen. Um, I've climbed with Lou once. I climbed yeah, uh, Fallout yeah. Corner with her and a mate, yeah. mate Guy Landy. Yeah, so there's Lou. She was good. Yeah, um, I know she had she had a knee injury from skiing, so she was kind of coming back from that. Uh, Tamsin Gay, who I don't really know that well, I know she kind of does. There's Tanya Noakes as well. Like she'd done quite hard stuff too. Like she had, like she did a thing on Duloch with. Ross Hewitt, I can't remember, it was a few years ago now, but that was seven, eight. Um, but, I mean, she's out in Chamonix and she's she's sort of really big into skiing. Like, last year she skied the length of Norway by herself, so oh, cool. she sort of... Oh, I think I saw something about that, tend- actually, yeah. yeah. She'd gone and done it by herself, I mean, she does these sort of epic things. How long did that take her? Well, it was months, I don't know how many, but it was... How's um, your skiing? Uh, not, not very good. Uh, I, I was trying to do quite a bit last winter. I did a course in Chamonix, so um, 
Uh, yeah, because I, I sort of thought that'd be some a, a nice sort of a different thing to do to go out in the snow and do that and uh, just sort of moving faster and stuff. But I'm just I'm, I'm a slow learner. Like I, I I can kind of get down red runs on piste, but not overly confident. And then so I just yeah, I'm sort of not really at a level to go off piste really. I don't think because I yeah, I mean the the. Sort of skiing on the piste, I mean, it's, it's good enough fun, but I sort of see it as just to, to try and get better technique and stuff, where I'd like to be able to just go off and, you know, go hut to hut or, you know, go on a kind of journey. Um, but then I, I sort of keep thinking I'm not good enough to do that. Uh, similar to the rock climbing, really, where I sort of think I'm not good enough to do certain things and then I don't do it. And then, uh, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I love, I mean, I love being out in the snow and I love being out in winter in general. So I kind of thought that that was something that, um, you know, kind of a, a different thing to do. Uh, Definitely, I mean, especially yeah. with your with your running things. Obviously, yeah, the yeah. you know the Paddy Buckley's been done on skis. Not the Paddy Buckley, the um, the Tranter has been done on skis. I think. Yeah, fin- well, Finley and Tim Gomersall did it because that. Yeah, so Finley did it before he did it. Like, They've done a lot of cool kind of schemo stuff and hill yeah, running stuff together. Yeah, sort of mixing mixing it up. Yeah, they did the winter the winter cooling ridge together. Uh, so that, well, they had the record and then Euston broke it. I saw that. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Um, I noticed actually because I sat next to Euston at the winter climbing seminar at the Fort William Film Festival, and I think it's a similar kind of height to Finley because I noticed okay. sitting next to him how much longer his legs are than mine. Like yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 like that bit. So because you how tall did you say you are? Uh, well, I think well I've measured. Well, I thought it was five six, but maybe like five five. I suppose Houston's like he's tall actually. I didn't realise how tall he is. Sort of six foot something. It's interesting. The different kind of. I mean, definitely for winter climbing, the people who've got a sort of more powerful build. Yeah. Tend to do a bit better. Yeah, I mean, like well, Greg Boswell. I mean, um, he's. I mean, he's tall. He's fairly tall by climbing standards. Like he's five eleven, I think. Uh, 5'11", maybe 6, five eleven, six foot, but it's pretty heavy. It's uh, pretty powerful. Yeah. Because he, he works, his parents have a farm, do they not? They do, I don't know if he's doing that anymore, I think he does. Um, it's ROVs, he operates uh, robots on ships now. He, so he was working on the parent on his parents' farm and then he was doing that, but I think now he does sort of building work. Oh right. So, yeah, sort of building in folks' homes and stuff. Interesting. So he's self-employed. Um, but then I was actually I was asking him about his rock climbing, but he climbs, you know, it's like oh, he doesn't climb so hard as hard as he does compared to winter. But he still climbs kind of E six, like he's yeah. not, he's not climbing HVS. Like it's that. interesting then that Anubis he can climb it in winter, but he'd maybe have yeah, to work at it to climb it in uh, summer. That's true. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I mean, some yeah. of the routes, for example, um, Steeple. Steeple, I guess, steeple's a bit of a strange one. You know, it's it's cracks and it's uh, laybacks and things. So it's yeah. not like it's face climbing yeah. or like slabby face climbing or something. But that climbs, I guess that climbs quite similar in, in summer to what it would I mean, I would say Greg's kind of the exception with his build. I mean, like Dave McLeod, Dave, Dave Almond is... I mean, basically all the men I climb with are lighter than me. Um, it's like, oh, they're, they're all like 10 stone or something. Uh, maybe 5 foot 8 and about 10 stone. Uh, whereas I'm five foot five and eleven stone, um, yeah. So yeah, I think Greg, Greg kind of is the exception with that. Uh, the generally, generally kind of wiry sort of. I mean, it's funny because my 
dad, mum and dad had, when they came to Aberdeen to visit me and they came down the climbing wall and they were watching. And my, my, my family's really tall, like my mum and dad are tall, my brother is really tall. Um, my brother's 6'6". Six, six that is tall, yeah. I thought he played basketball for England. Really? Uh, right. Uh, are your parents, uh, do your parents do much sport as well? My, my, my dad's thing was rugby, actually. Um, okay. And he was, well, he was kind of tall for it, but he's a broad sort of build. He was prop. So he's, he's about six foot two. And you did, was it lots of cross-country running? Yeah, so that's that's sort of, yeah, cross-country in 800 and 1500, but that's sort of partly the reason I've ended up so much shorter, because I, um, well, uh, they sort of medically proven, but... Uh, yeah, I, I was sort of tall as a child till I was about ten. I was about five foot two, and then I really got into my running, sort of age ten, eleven, and then ended up becoming anorexic at that age. So really young age. Right. Uh, so I mean, logically, if you've got a if you've got a sort of deficit. Yeah. So basically, you've got a calorie deficit. Yeah. So I mean, like that was that was all the way from the end of primary school till I left high school when I was sixteen. So I stayed at five foot two. Meanwhile, my brother was. By the time he was 15, he was about six foot four. Um, That's so, yeah, so I mean, I just stopped growing and then I grew a little bit kind of in my late teens. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm massively shorter than the rest of the family. I mean, my oldest nephew, who's 13, is now taller than me. And, and that, that time spent as a runner, were you in a, an athletics club at the time? Yeah, so I was in Cannock and Stafford Athletics Club. Uh, I mean, it was a good club and the, the team at the time, um, the girls team, we were one of the best in the UK. We won a lot of sort of national competitions into, yeah, sort of national cross-country champions and road relay and cross-country relays we'd win or we'd, we'd sort of get medals in. Um and most of our club ran for the county, you know, Staffordshire and Staffordshire schools. Uh, and, the, and the Staffordshire team at the time was, was sort of winning things at, at sort of national level as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was, uh, it was it was at a high standard. Uh, Have you read an article that Nat Berry did for UKC? I did read it, you know yeah. I, mean? I did read it, yeah. Yeah, um, did that shine with your experience. Yeah, it did. It did completely. Um, she's been doing some really good stuff. She, she writes very well, actually. She's she's, she's very yeah, so, so uh, very that. sort of. And the, the the work she's done, like a lot of the sort of journalism, the articles she's produced for UKC have been. It's taken it in a sort of different direction, but it's been a lot broader. Yeah, it's, quite good standard. It's, yeah, I mean, it's really. I think it's really high standard. Like they're quite lengthy articles, and they're really sort of well researched, and, and she's insightful and yeah it's yeah it, it's kind of yeah I t- yeah the great it's kind of not your typical climbing kind of article it's not is you it get in most magazines no there are a lot they're a lot more insightful than that yeah no I, I did read that and it did kind of strike a chord um and there was something recently it was well i i don't know how recent it is actually but i'd read it recently it was about this relative energy deficiency which used it used to be so, so when I was ill with it, it was basically called anorexia athletica, uh-huh. which is, it was a combination of under-eating and over-exercise, and it was doing both together. And quite common amongst uh, female athletes. In yeah, so I mean, there were other girls in the club who had it, um, there, were, there were other girls who I ran against from different clubs who, you know, you could clearly see were unwell, and I think, I think with, yeah, I mean, anything where your weight makes a difference, so distance, sort of middle distance, distance running, 
gymnastics. I mean, you look at the height of the women who do gymnastics, and I guess it's partly self-selective, but it's also, you know, your, your growth has been stunted. That, yeah, that's also partially due to the impact, isn't it, the landings and things. Yeah, and, and also that they've got so little body fat and they don't have the energy available to, to grow, so, the, I mean, the growth has been stunted. And then uh, dance, I think dance, dancing is another one. Um, and then and then climbing as well. I mean, I, to be honest, I would say the running is almost well, the running and the gymnastics. But what from what I saw with the running, oh god! I mean, it's it's just it's almost. I mean, if if you if you have the personality for it, where you're not going to get sucked into that, it's fine. But if you don't, it's actually sort of really not that healthy thing. It's such a do. shame when you, when you think of what a healthy thing sport can be. Yeah. And what a great influence it can be on someone's life. But I mean, it's, it's obviously it's given you a good cardiovascular base. Yeah, I mean it has. It's just, it's just uh, sort of have hang-ups about my height whenever every time I'm sort of with my brother and right. stuff, you know, which is a, a strange sort of situation to to be in. Really, it's it's bizarre being that much. You know, my mum's six foot. Um, I so that sorry, I, I'm going completely off track, but the point was so my, my family's tall, and my mum and dad were watching folk at the climbing wall, and my dad made the observation that. Well, to him, because he's six foot two, he's like, they're all really small people, aren't they? Like, all these small men. Yeah. And, and and it's basically like, you know, the folk I climb with, the men are all about 5'8", which is maybe average, but to my dad, it's like, oh, they're all really small, these do men. Know, do you know what was it? I think it's a quote that's attributed to Joe Brown. You probably know this one. But oh, asked, if you can't reach it, you can't... Yeah, he was asked, reach, he was asked oh, what you do yeah. if you can't reach, reach the next one. He said, I climb up to it. Yeah, yeah. I thought that Yeah, really and I mean, I don't know that being... Uh, I mean, Tim Neal's kind of an exception. He's, he's well, he's six six. It's the same height as my brother, but you don't get that many really tall climbers. Like they generally are shorter. So I think it. It depends. Like boulders tend to be really short and powerful. Yeah. And if trad yeah. climbing, I guess it's a bit of more of a leveler. Yeah, and they can be kind of like the good sort of men can be quite it's kind of lanky build. Yeah, they've got the ape, ape index, the ape yeah. index, big sort of lanky arms. If you're ever in Eden Rock. Outside of Edinburgh, bouldering—it's—it's it's quite a nice one. They've got a bit on the wall where they've marked on the heights of loads okay. of different climbers. And it's like Adam Andra, yeah, Sean Crossy, yeah. and that—it's quite interesting because yeah. most of them are on the short on the short side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lynn um, Hill when she did the she's five foot two was she? Really small, yeah. Yeah, and she's—I mean, she's still climbing quite hard to this day. Hazel Findlay, she five two. I guess she's not big either. Yeah. Well, Scott, I don't know if you know Scott G, Scott Grostenov. I've not um, met Scott, no. Um, so you, you did a route with a, a mutual friend of uh, a chap called Harry Holmes, Sue yeah, Wall on the bend. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I was mates with Harry when he started off climbing. I've kind of lost touch with him. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I know Harry and Scott knew each other through the tooling comp. The tooling comp. I mean, Harry Scottish tooling team. doesn't really do now. He's got into his running. and He's been doing very well. Always, fine. Well, I did it for like a year or two, and then he's running for England, like representing England. He's, at he's, he's, a, bit of a, he's um, a bit of a machine. Home. Seems like every, pretty much every race, because I, I mean, I get the Fell Runners magazine, and it, like he seems to win just about everything. Um, oh, but Scott is not much over five foot. But you, what, you, you watch him at Newtown and there's things where you think, oh, I can't reach, you know, I can't reach that hold. And then you watch him and he just basically locks off like that. Wow. Then, so it's, it's like you, you sort of can't use it as an excuse. It's just, well, you just need to get stronger. To give you an idea of Harry's kind of mentality, there was one time we went, we drove up from Edinburgh, or Harry would have driven up at the time because I don't think I had a car. And we did a route, well, it was Pot of Gold or something like that in Senecta. Oh, is that when he went and did he stop? Yeah, so we, we stopped oh, off on the way down. How was like, oh, can we stop off for a wee bit more Is that when he did it in, in his wireless? 
No, he oh, told right, me, okay. I knew he had done it as well. Yeah. I think he put on rock shoes, but yeah, okay. I belayed him and he had a quick yeah. ran a quick lap on the Fast and the Furious, and then we went off back yeah. to Edinburgh. But so he, yeah, so I, I think if he's well, I presume he's sort of applied that mentality to his running as well. I imagine he has. Yeah. as good as he is, and he's and he's a sort of good build for it as well. I think someone had made a comment to him when he was a climber that he was a really good build for a runner, and he said, "Oh yeah, I don't really like running though." I don't really like him <laughs> well. That's funny. Oh, really good at it. Um, yeah, so I say Scott's a little bit one who's who's short. So so generally, yes, a climbers are typically shorter than than average. It's funny actually because my last one, Ray, which was last June, so my family came up to that. What was your final one? Uh, it wasn't a particularly mem. Well, it was memorable because it was my final one. Matt Mal Bowie and Glen Lyon. Uh, so I chose that because it was a nice, easy, grassy one, and my niece and nephews. Came yeah, up. that's a good idea. Because my my youngest nephew Connor was. He just turned eight at the time, so I wanted one that they could, could get up. And Dave McLeod came with his daughter Frida, so she was oh, seven. Nice. So, um, so that was her, her first one, right? But uh, yeah, it was kind of funny when my, my brother, <laughs> uh, well, just in meeting everyone, and it's like, well, my friends are all really short. It's like, no, they're not. They're all about the same height. But uh, yeah, and the Andy Nisbet came along on that actually, and he brought. Um, he, I don't know if you've heard about this, he was infamous for this caramel shortbread that he used to eat. Well, for the last sort of two or three years, it got to the point where if he actually said to me that he, he gave up making sandwiches to take out with him because he couldn't. it was easier just to take a tray or two of really caramel shortbread. Bread. So that was, that was all he would take when he went out in the hills. And given he went out in the hills every other day... That's a huge so, volume of millionaire shortbread. Yeah. So and it was the te- it was normally the Tesco caramel shortbread, which um, I know the trays. You it's mean. little trays. So just just out of interest, Fiona Murray and I went into the Tesco in Aviemore, which is where they got it from, to have a look at how many calories were in the tray. And the small tray is sixteen hundred calories. Wow. And we told Andy, and he was like, "No, that must be wrong. There can't be that many." Um, and then if he was doing a big winter day, he would just put a second tray in, so he'd have two tray days. Um, but he was telling me. That before he discovered caramel shortbread, he used to just used to take blocks of marzipan. And when he did when he did uh, vertigo wall, he had two blocks of marzipan. So yeah, so he came on my last one row and he brought. I mean, I actually asked him to bring some kind of for the, for a bit of a laugh at the top. So he had six trays with him, and my niece and nephews they got they had a tray each to carry up, and they was sharing that round at the top. So oh, yeah, caramel shortbread, and then. Uh, uh, God, was it Prosecco? My mum and dad got a crate of Prosecco for a me. A crate? Wow, you're yeah. different carrying that up. <laughs> so, yeah, sort of divvying that up between people. Um, How long do you reckon until you've done the Corbett's then? Uh, maybe a couple of years. Well, I mean, I might end up finishing them all this summer if my shoulder's bad. Yeah. And given I don't like... Great, rock... great training for the, the Ramsey. Yeah, there, and given I don't like rock climbing. So. Bob Graham, do you think? Yeah, I mean, what I was thinking was just the next month or so to be doing a mixture of hill walks and runs and big I mean the thing with Corbett's it's rough ground as well so it's actually pretty hard yeah, work yeah, really strong and, yeah. yeah and it's it's just sort of hard going because you're not on a nice path so do that and just build up and and then I was thinking for some stamina maybe if the weather's bad doing summer all of the West Island way you know because I can get oh, the train nice. and then just come back That'd be lovely, yeah. Do, like a combination of walking, running. I mean, I can't run that length of 
time at the minute but so you kind of just build up and then try and do Bob Graham um, Dave Alman says he'll help my mum and dad had said that they'd help with um, like the valley support at the road crossing so yeah. they could drive around and to do the Ramsey as well uh, see I looked at the Paddy Buckley that looks like a bit of a headache with it because it's like 40 odd it's a lot of tops and it's like pretty difficult navigation like a lot of the stuff in the mole winds it's a bit Paddy Buckley that's where that is <sighs> it's North Wales so, yeah, so it's a bit of a faff to get down there as well yeah um, like my friend Ross has done all three of them and he said that was the hardest and I think the navigation's the hardest like the mole winds just like I mean I've done walking in the mole winds and I think even with good visibility, I think that I imagine some of the tops aren't that sort of yeah. distinct, really. What about the you know the records on it? It's obviously pretty nails, but the Coolan Ridge have a go at running that. Yeah, um, I don't know. I did that last May um, by myself, so I organised my last Munro party, but I hadn't done the Coolan Ridge. Oh right, <laughs> yeah. I got to the week the weekend before. Oh, no way. And had no option but to go, and, and I, I I couldn't find anyone to do it with, so I ended up where I just had to go and do it by myself. Um, I had I had done the in pin previously. I did that with other people, but that was the only one row that I'd done on it. So I did the rest of it and bypassed the in pin. Um, I yeah, I I don't know. I'm sort of I don't know how confident I'd be sort of moving that fast on that kind of ground. Did you take actually. a look for the abseils? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not. Sh I'm not totally sure. I want to try and go fast on that kind of ground. That's really. cool. I, I prefer either going slower on that kind of ground or being on safer ground if you're going to go faster. I think. Nice. I think. I just think it's. Yeah, I just sort of know what my abilities and limitations are, and I just don't know that I want to do that particularly. I'm looking forward to hearing how your running objectives go. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, I hope uh, the hope the shoulder rehab work goes well. Yeah, and thank that you. Gets back Thanks. To fighting fitness. Yeah, for next for next winter. So Dave McLeod has suggested, given I, I failed on forty at forty, having to get forty one at forty one. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think I mean it was all, everything put together this winter. It's been a poor winter, the shoulder, and then not doing a route since Stephen Andy died. So um, it's. Yeah, so, so I think it got to the point it's like it's just not going to happen. Um, but it would be kind of nice to have another go. It just means I've got to do even more now. Thanks. Well, hopefully we'll catch up with you in the future. When yeah, thank uh, you. When you've maybe completed some of these running challenges, I'm sure yeah, that'll be interesting thanks. to chat about as well. Well, I'm sorry for kind of going off on a tangent about No, well, that's, that's, kind, of the whole, that's kind of the whole point of the right. podcast, that uh, you get to go off... my brother and stuff. Yeah, you get to go off on any old tangent okay, you want, yeah. and there's no... Uh, and you get to slag off, which, who was it, Rab? Was it Rab or slag? Yeah, and uh, I've done quite a good job of slagging off rock climbing as well. Rock, rock climbing and beloved British brand Rab. Anyway, oh, thank you very you. much, Helen. It's been much appreciated. It's been really okay, good. Thank you.